0: Om um, bhadram Karne Bhisranu Yamadevaha bhadram Pashye Maksha Bhirya Jatra Sthirai Rangai Stushtu Vagam Sastanubhi Vyashema Devahitanyadayuhu Swastina Indro Vridhasravaha Suvesti Napusha Vishwaveda. Suvestir Nastak Shura Rishta Nami. Suvesti Nobrihas Dadhatu. Om Shante, Shante, Shanti. Hariyum. May we hear with our ears what is auspicious? May we see with our eyes what is auspicious while praying with steady limbs. May we attain the lifespan allotted to us. May Indra bestow well-being on us. May Pushan, the God of the earth who is all-knowing, bestow well-being on us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, bestow well-being on us. May Brihaspati also bestow well-being on us. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. So the last class, we had a revision of the second chapter of the second part of Mundaka Upanishad. Today, we will start the third part, the concluding part of the Mundaka Upanishad, which again constitutes of two chapters. So the first chapter of the third Mundaka begins with the idea that the individual soul is separated from Brahman because of ignorance. All the suffering results from the erroneous idea that it is entirely helpless and dependent on the matter, Jada. Its identification with the psychophysical existence is the cause of all its suffering. And what's the way out through the knowledge of its oneness with Brahman? It again discovers its innate greatness and thereby overcomes grief. So these are the ideas with the first two mantras of the first chapter of the third mundaka will enunciate. So we will start with the first mantra of the first chapter. Of the third part of Mundaka So the first mantra is, "Dva Suparna Sayuja Sakaya Samanang Brikshang Parishashvajati Tayo Annya Pippalam Swadu Atti Anashnan Annya Avichakashiti. So these two slokas are quite well-known slokas of the Mundaka Upanishad these first two mantras which speaks in the form of an allegory of two birds sitting in a tree. Dva Suparna Sayuja Sakhaya Suparna means birds. Suparna the etymological meaning is one with good wings. Parna is the wing. Suparna is one with the good wings. So that means the birds. Dva represents, Dva signifies two. So these two birds, Dva, Suparna, they're always united. Sayuja. This word Sayuja means, they're always united. And they're known by the same name, Sakaya. They're known by the same name. And they stay in the same tree. samanam, Mrikshan, Parishashvajāte. So, the Parishashvajāte indicates they are clinging to the same tree. Tayo annya pippalam swadu atti. Of those two, one of them, tayo atti means eats. What it eats? The sweet fruits of the tree. Pippalam swadu. Swadu pippalam means The sweet fruits, swadu means tasty, Pipalam the fruits. So the one of them is constantly tasting the sweet fruits of the tree. Anashnan anyah Shiti. The other doesn't eat the fruit. It is just the witness. It's just looking without eating. So these are the two birds. So this with the form of the allegory. The Upanishad is speaking of the Jivatma and the Paramatma. So Dva, Suparna, these two birds, as we said, the Parna means wings, Su means good. The one who has those good wings are the two birds, Suparna. These two birds refer to the Jivatma, the individual soul, and the Paramatma, the Supreme Self. So, what is the Jivatma? It is the Paramatma which is reflected in the psychophysical existence, in the body and mind. So, the former means Jivatma, the one who is testing the fruits, is the pure consciousness conditioned by the body and the mind on account of its association with ignorance. Once the ignorance dawns in, It identifies itself with the reflection. So the sayuja means they are always united. The jivatma is the reflection of the paramatma in buddhi. So you cannot separate the two. The way I cannot separate the reflection from its object, the object which is being reflected, the reflection and the object are inseparable. Similarly, the jivatma and the paramatma, they are sayuja always united. You cannot think of the one without the other. Wherever there is the Jivatma, there must be the Paramatma. Because Jivatma is the reflection of the Paramatma in Buddhi. And then what it speaks of? This Sakhaya, same name. One we are saying Jivatma, the other we are saying Paramatma. But both are Atma. Now what's the meaning of the word Atma? As both are called as Atma. So they are Sakhaya. They carry the same name. Why it is called Atma? The Jivatma as well as the Paramatma, both are called Atma. The word Atma etymologically means in Sanskrit, a samantyat, Tanoti Vyapnoti. The one that pervades everything. Samantyat, everything. Tanoti, Vyapnoti. Vyapnoti means it pervades. Whatever you see, everything that which pervades is Atma. So how come Jivatma as well as the Paramatma being indicated as Atma? Because the Jivatma pervades the psychophysical entity. It is local. It is local but at the same time I cannot indicate it to be localized in a particular part of my body. As long as I am identified with the psychophysical existence, the entire psychophysical existence is pervaded by the Jivatma. And Paramatma pervades the entire creation. So both are pervading. The Jivatma pervades the psychophysical exist entity and the Paramatma pervades the entire creation. And here the mantra is saying that these two, one local, another the non-local, both are always united. And they are always residing in the same tree. Samanang Brikshang Parishashwa Jate. So this tree refers to our psychophysical existence, it refers to our body. So they cling to the same tree. So etymologically, the word vriksha means what? That which is perishable. That which is decaying. Vraschanath, ksharanath, vriksha. Vraschanath, that which is perishable. Means one day it is going to die. Vraschanath. And then why again the word ksharanath is used? That it is perish, perishable; it will die one day. But even before death, it is constantly transforming. It is decaying. That speaks of ksharanat. So this riksha, this body, is being called riksha because it is perishable and it is decaying. So as has been mentioned in the Kathopanishad, which Shankaracharya uh, refers to in his commentary while commenting on this mantra is that this body, this like a tree, this body is subject to destruction. So that's what, Raschanath, Sharanath. It has its root above, but the, what's the difference between uh, this a tree, an ordinary tree and this tree called this body of the tree of life, its root is above. Urdhva Mula and branches are below, avakshaka, as has been spoken of in the Bhagavad Gita, as has been spoken of in the Kathopanishad. So, Urdhva Mula, avakshaka, esha, ashwatha sanatana. The same idea, ashwatha that which is perishable, it is not going to last forever. So, this tree is Urdhva Mula, this root is in Brahman, that is the cause and the branches which are like the, our prana and the organs all the vital organs or the, the all the our vitality all these like the branches which constitutes our psychophysical existence they are spreading downwards so this psychophysical existence is supported by ignorance as long as the ignorance is there this psychophysical existence is sustained. How it is sustained? As we discuss again and again, the the moment because of ignorance, the Paramatma identifies itself with the Jivatma, seeing its reflection in the psychophysical existence. Now its endeavor is to realize the eternity in the psychophysical existence, which is never possible. So what's happening in the constant change, the flow, the body-mind is flowing, changing, but the endeavour to keep it imperishable speaks of the entire process of evolution. And that's how, though it is perishable, for the time being, it is sustained because of this ignorance. The one who is imperishable, seeing his reflection of something perishable, wants endeavours to... Realize that imperishable nature in the body-mind complex. And that's how the body-mind complex is sustained. And all the various fruits are the fruits of the actions of the living beings in the tree. So that's how Shankaracharya is describing this tree of life. So the Paramatma being reflected in the psychophysical existence, in the Vriksha, gives the idea of the Jīvātmā. This Jīvātmā, Paramātmā is always the witness. It is only the Jīvātmā, the thing which is reflected in the psychophysical existence. What it is doing? It is constantly testing the fruits of its actions. TAYO PIPPALANG SWADU ATTI One of them. So that is the Jīvātmā. It eats the fruits, the sweet fruits. That is to say, it experiences the pain and pleasure. And this Jivatma, because of the lack of discrimination, identifies itself with the body and experiences the fruits of action. From Avidya results in karma, karma results in karma. From ignorance comes desire, The desire results in action. And this cycle constitutes our psychophysical existence. So this is the Jivatma, which is testing the fruits. So this uh, Jivatma is constantly testing the fruits, that is experiencing the pain and pleasures of life. Anashnan Anya Abhichakashiti. Paramatma, the Anashnan Anya, the other, of these two birds, the other, that is the witness. That is to say the Paramatma, he is the witness. Though it is immanent, it is at the same time transient. It's What you say that this where the body is transient and in that the self is immanent, it is always there, is being reflected there. So, when these two birds, one as the Jivatma, the experiencer, and the other as the Paramatma, the witness, are clinging to the same tree, then what happens? So, that will be spoken of in the next mantra. So, the first mantra speaks of this self, the same self, being reflected in the psychophysical existence, appears as the Jivatma. And because of its identification with the psychophysical existence, Anything which happens to the psychophysical existence, it thinks it happens to it, and it suffers. Just that example, we say that that we have parked our car in the parking lot called this body. The car is as if the, our jivatma, the soul, the individual self, is being parked in the parking lot called this body. Suppose you're in a movie theater watching a movie and suddenly there is an announcement that there is a fire in the parking lot where you have all parked the cars. It's a multi-layer parking car. We don't know where you have parked your car. So we are sorry for the interruption, but please move out. We don't know whose car is on fire. So all are anxious running thinking it's their car which is on fire most probably the fire was yet to engulf any of the so called vehicles but all were rushing out they were ang- anxious the anxiety be- was what, uh, the reason of the anxiety was that they thought their car their car has caught fire so all our anxiety suffering results from the idea that the car, the soul has got caught fire, it never gets get, catch fire. But this wrong notion that the parking lot has caught fire, the, not the car. So this wrong notion is the result of all the suffering. So, so when these two birds, the one as the Jivatma, the experiencer and the other as the Paramatma, the witness, cling to the same tree, what happens? That will be spoken of in the next mantra. So the second mantra of the first part, of the first chapter of the third part of Mundaka Upanishad. Samane Brikshe Purusho Nimagno Anishaya Shochati Muyhamanah Jushtang Yada Pashyati Anyam Isham Asya Mahimanam Eti Shoka. Samane Purusho Nimagno. So seated on the same tree, Samane Briksha. The individual, here the Purusha indicates the individual soul. The individual soul as if remains drowned. Nimagno. The individual soul is as if drowned. And it thinks it is anishaya. It is worried about its importance. Anisha speaks of importance. Isha, the word Isha speaks of the Lord. Isha speaks, Isha means the Lord. The one who has the control over everything. To negate that Anpratya is used. Anisha means the one who feels who is being enslaved he has no power. He is as if important. So that's anishaya. The being emerged, this, this, this being drowned, as it were, it moans. Shochati. Being worried by its importance. Anishaya. Jushtam yada pasyati anyam isham. But when yada, he beholds the other Pashyati anyam in the same tree there is another bird which is not tasting the fruits it is just witnessing sitting quiet and witnessing from the top of the branch so when this bird the jivatma he beholds he looks at the other bird Pashyati anyam and that the other bird the witness is the lord he is anisha But the other bird is the Isha. He feels himself to be important. But the other is the Lord who is worshipped by all. Jushtam. The word Jushtam speaks of the same Ishwara who is worshipped by all. This Jushtam. This Lord who is worshipped by all and His glory. This Asya Mahimana. One who beholds the Lord and His glory. just by beholding what happens, he then becomes free from all grief, iti vita shokaha. The shoka becomes past tense, the grief becomes past tense, vita means that which is past. Jo viti, so viti, the past, in Hindi also the word viti means in the sense of past tense, that which has already happened. So it came from the Sanskrit. The Vita Shoka, Shoka is suffering, Vita speaks, the Shoka is something past. So this, the bird which is sitting in the lower branch, when it beholds the upper bird, the bird sitting in the upper branch, who is always tranquil and composed, and who is just the witness, who is not tasting the fruits, by beholding him, he goes beyond all suffering. So these are the two very poetic, wonderful mantras uh, of this Mundaka Upanishad, Samane Vrikshe Purusho Nimagna. So seated in the same tree, the individual soul remains drowned. So very interesting. You will find that the same idea is there in all the various traditions. So many times we have related to the story of Narcissus, the idea of being drowned. If you know the legend, legendary character Narcissus, from which the word Narcissistic has came, that those who are extremely self-possessed, they are called Narcissistic, always thinking of himself. He so much obsessed with himself or herself that he never cares for others. So such two obs- this persons who are too obsessed with himself or herself are called narcissistic. The word narcissistic came from the legendary character Narcissus. So the Narcissus was a prince. He was extremely handsome. And he was obsessed by his own beauty. Though he was a prince, he was a crown prince, he had responsibilities, but he forsook all his responsibilities because of his tremendous obsession for his own beauty, what he used to do whenever the chance permitted, he will go deep into the forest out of his uh, country and there, there was a huge reservoir whose water was clean and calm, tranquil. So you can see your reflection there. So this narcissist will go stand by the side of the reservoir and spend hours seeing his own reflection. He was so obsessed by his own beauty. And that's how he used to waste his time. And one day he got so obsessed by his own beauty, by his own reflection. He started thinking the reflection to be real and wanted to embrace it. And it jumped on the reservoir, drowned and died. That's the story of Narcissus. So also there also, in the story, we find the idea of drowning. So here also, in spiritual sense, we are all narcissistic. The Paramatma, seeing its reflection in the psychophysical existence, has become nimagna as if drowned in it. And that's the cause of the spiritual death. So, this thus, the grief of the jiva, is the result of its identification with the psychophysical existence, with this body. And under the heavy weight of ignorance, desire, action, and the longing, longing for the results of action, as Shankaracharya says, avidya kama karma. The jiva becomes drowned, as it were, in the ocean of the world. This cycle of avidya kama karma, how it binds us that the self, which is sat chit ananda swarupa, we have discussed so many times, sat swarupata speaks of its uh, that uninterrupted existence in all the phases of time, past present, future. It was, it is, it will be. Its existence is never interrupted by any phase of time, past, present and future. So what is Sat in Vedanta? Sat is described as Trikal Avadhita, whose existence Avadhita is uninterrupted by Trikala, by the three phases of time, past, present, future. And that Sat is again Chit Swarupa. It's not matter. It's not that the matter has conglomerated to accidentally create consciousness. That the ultimate Sat Swarupata, which is our real nature, is again Chit Swarupa. It is consciousness. Consciousness and consciousness alone, which is the essence of our being. And that consciousness is imperishable. It is always in the eternal present. As there is no decay, it is always in the eternal present. And that chit, the consciousness, is always in bliss. It is beyond the dualities of joys and sorrows. That speaks of Anandasvarupata. So if the core of our being is Sat-Chit-Anandasvarupata, why in our life we suffer if the core of our being is bliss and bliss alone. So Swami Vivekananda gives that example that the mind behind which the Satchit Ananda Swarupata is always there as the core of our being, it when is getting getting, uh, reflected through the mind. What it appears like? That the mind is like, as Swami is saying, is like a reservoir. And below that reservoir, the self is something uh, The on the bed. On the bed of the reservoir is the self. Yes, Swami Vivekananda is using an allegory to explain the cause of our suffering. Now when the reservoir or the lake is Calm and tranquil, its water is pure, it has no turgidity, and there are no waves. Then, if anything is on the bottom of the lake, it is visible. You will find that when in a swimming pool, the water is clean, no one is swimming, the water is tranquil. If anything is there on the bottom of the swimming pool, it is visible. But when Everyone is swimming. The water is agitated. The bottom is not seen. So similarly, that our sat, chit, ananda, swarupata, of that, when the water of that reservoir called mind is agitated, means it is full of desires. It is full of turbulence. which speaks of the desires. And then what happens? There is a selective filtration. Satsvarupata, Chitsvarupata, this never gets filtered. It always percolates through our mind because we are always aware of our existence. I exist and I am aware of my existence. So Satsvarupata, Svarupata never gets obscured. What gets obscured because of the waves of the mind is the bliss, ananda Swarupata, And that's been spoken of in Vedanta a very nice way. That what that this external world we feel this the matter the jara has the capacity to give us happiness. We stretch our hands out in the world, thinking that I am unfulfilled, and there are so many things which can give me fulfillment. So I reach out, and when I get the object of my desire, I do feel happy. Then can I deny that happiness is dependent on something which I desire for? So here, Swamiji is explaining Vedanta with the help of this allegory. What happens is saying that when the water is agitated, the Ananda Swarupa alone gets obscured. The Sat the Chit Swarupa, that never gets obscured. But when the water is tranquil, then the Ananda Swarupata also percolates, giving me happiness. The happiness doesn't come from outside, from the object. On getting the object of my desire, my mind gets tranquil for the time being and the Ananda Swarupata, which is the core of my being, that percolates to my body-mind senses, giving me the sense of bliss. This is the thing. In all our happiness, this is the equation that works. That suppose I am I desire something like someone already have a car but wants the latest model of a car, and he's trying to get funds. He's uh, bothered whether he can buy it or not, and with all his by taking loan or whatever way it is possible, at last he manages to buy the car. And once he owns the car, he's tremendously happy and he thinks the car has given his happiness but what actually has happened that when he was desiring for the car his mind was fully agitated with so many waves desires that each and every wave of the mind was speaking of the desire I want I want that car the moment it got the car for the time being, there was no desire. A type of let go and shoot. The mind was tranquil. It is not the car that gives the happiness. It is the bliss, which is the core of his game, uh, being, that percolates through his body, mind, sense, and he feels the happiness. But because of ignorance, he thinks it is a car, it is the external world that gives his happiness. So now you will understand that why Shankaracharya is saying Avidya, Kama, Karma, Chakra is the cycle in which the jiva is drowned. Because of ignorance, we stretch out in the form of desire. And once we have a desire that results in action, and once we have that action, through the action, we enjoy the results of desire. For the time being, there is a bliss. And again, the ignorance forces me to stretch out to fulfil so many innumerable desires. And that's how we are drowned in this rickshaw of life, because of this, through the cycle of this avidya karma karma. And when we are in such a situation, what results in, at last we find, we are as if Important and we mourn, we are worried by our importance. Anishaya Shochati That I am not the Lord. That in our life we all experience that at certain time the nature gives us everything and at, other, at some other time the nature takes away everything. When the nature is giving us so many things, we become optimistic. We think everything is within my control. And suddenly I find that I am just in the front of an adamantine wall. I have actually reached what you say that a blind alley. The path of life has ended in a blind alley. I feel that. And then it results in a sense of helplessness. As in the modern psychology, they say that inescapable trauma results in learned helplessness. And that results in a defeatist attitude. That's the idea behind the word Anishaya Shochati Muhyamana. We have desires, we fulfill, we get the happiness. Again we desire, a time comes, we find that we have innumerable desires, but no way to fulfill them. And that makes me suffer, intensely suffer, as if all the path have came to an end, there's a blind alley. I can go no farther. Or as Swamiji says that, I have came in just on the age of a precipice. One more step, I don't know where I fall. So why it is why it happens? Because, I am not aware of the spiritual dimension of my existence. Once this lower word, the Jivatma, looks at the upper bird, upper bird, that speaks of the opening up of the spiritual portal, looking up, the, looking up to the spiritual dimension of our existence. And then suddenly we find all our importance has vanished. It was because of ignorance I was thinking myself important. I was always the perfect, the fulfilled one. There was no uh, thing which I don't uh, have. The entire the entire existence is a projection of me and me alone. So where is the question of not having anything? So I am ever fulfilled. And that makes make, me behind all, beyond all the shoka, all the suffering. So, what's the idea actually speaking of? The idea which is speaking of is the same that that we st- in the as in the modern psychology we feel, we say that what's the cause of that at, uh, that uh, the learned helplessness that we feel that we are helpless. This we have learned how we have learned through inescapable trauma in our life. We f- do find situations. Where we find there is no solution. We are in some crisis where there is no solution. Our desires take us to such a to a certain blind alley where we find no solution. And from that learned helplessness the defeatist attitude comes. So the path of life is bound to end in a blind alley unless we can relate to the spiritual dimension of our existence. That why it happens Why we don't find any answer to the questions of life? Because we cannot relate to the spiritual dimension of existence. That example which we give again and again, that in our life we will find that sometimes we don't find the answer to our questions, to the problems, because we are fixed to some particular dimension in which we are searching the answer. We know we try to relate to some other dimension. The moment we relate to the other dimension, the answer is palpably visible. The example which we give so many times is the drawing of four triangles by joining four points. You can never do that. Just by joining four points, exactly four triangles, you can never draw. The two lines will intersect to create the fifth point and there will be more than four triangles. Then what's the way out? The answer is you have to just put three points in the paper and imagine the fourth point in the space. Now you join. Then by joining the three points in the paper, you get one triangle. And from each of the points, draw a line on the point on the space. You get another three triangles in the space which has formed actually a Triangular pyramid with exactly four triangular faces. So, why I was not, I I couldn't get the answer because I was trying to search the answer only in the two dimensions of the paper. In our life, that anishaya, that the idea that I am important, I am anisha, I am not the Lord, comes because we don't relate to the Spiritual dimension of existence. We don't look up to the other bar, the paramatma, who is just the witness sitting there. So, how this relating to the spiritual dimension of our existence helps. So to understand that, first we will try to understand that that how the learned helplessness, learned helplessness develop from traumatic experiences in our life. Uh, we will find that when you when these elephants are tamed or any uh, this animals has to be tamed the small cub it is tied the small elephant the young elephant is tied with a strong chain iron chain to an iron stump it tries its best to get rid of all the so called this enchainments of these bondages. It tries but it can never because the chain is quite strong. And that's how the anim- this elephant is growing with the chains tied to its leg, one of its leg. Now when it is fully grown, very interesting, now there is no need to tie its leg with the iron chain. Just with a rope, if you tie one of its uh, leg with a stump you will find it never tries to escape. It never tries. Why? Because it has learned that it is helpless. It is Anisha. The inescapable trauma has given him that experience, that it is Anisha. It is important. And from that develops a defeatist attitude. So in our life, we will find that That's how we all develop that idea of impotency. Why? Because we are constantly trying to relate to the physical dimension of existence. Now, very interesting. If you take some other examples, you will find that it's not that all are conditioned by this learned helplessness. Another experiment was done. Uh, In psychology, these experiments are done that if there are a few rats kept in a this uh, glass case, the glass case is designed in such a way that in between, uh, in the middle, there is some roll. There are some rollers. Now, if the roller is frictionless, then what happens when the rats are kept in one end of that uh, glass case? On the other end, some food is kept. When the rat is hungry, it wants to go to the other side. But as the wheels are frictionless, it tries and tries but cannot go to the other side. Now next what they do, they just increase the friction of the wheels a little so that if the rat tries a bit hard, it can cross. But out of the 10 rats, it was found that the eight of them won't try at all the little attempt they when they find that they cannot go they just stopped attempting but two of them at 20% they try hard and go to the other side so though most of us are bound to develop that sense of importance a few are there who are always optimistic so now the research was done that what makes a few optimistic and most of us pessimistic when we face the problems of life. So the two main factors, which decides one to be pessimistic contrary to the one who is optimistic is that the pessimist take any problem as permanent. I can never, in no way I can cross this. So it takes its permanent. But the optimist, the 20%, they think, yes, each and every time I have to try anew. Last time I failed. This, the next time, most probably I may succeed. So it takes all the problems of life as temporary. The pessimist thinks a problem to be all pervasive. An optimist thinks it to be local. It just affects a part of my life. Now, this we extend to that spiritual dimension of existence. The moment we, when we are facing the problems of life and we try to really find the answers of all the questions in this life alone, there cannot be any answer. There is an adamant wall. We are bound to develop that defeatist attitude. We are bound to develop that learned helplessness. We are bound to feel that I am Anisha. I am not the Lord. But the moment I look up, Look up to the spiritual dimension of my existence, which is trikāla vādita. Nothing can affect it. It is in the eternal present. There is no decay. There is no question of being affected by pleasure and pain. The moment I relate to that, then what happens? All the problem becomes temporary. Yes, that this all the so-called happenings of life cannot affect the entirety of my being. For the time being, because of ignorance, as I am attached to this body mind complex. So I am uh, experiencing this pleasure and pain, but really I am that self who is sitting on the upper branch, tranquil, that's my real nature. So what happens? all the problems become temporary. They are no more, no more permanent. and they are local means they cannot just engulf my entire being. I cannot be nimagna. I cannot be drowned by that problem because it just affects a part of my existence. It's it's affecting an infinitely small aspect, infinite, aspect of my existence. And it is temporary in time. So that's how I can go beyond the shoka. Vita Shoka. Once I relate to the spiritual dimension of my existence which is eternal then this life becomes just a journey. We are all co-passengers and we are all in a journey. Our destination is somewhere else. Whatever is happening during the journey is temporary, is local. It, It is not going to stay with me through eternity. So the journey can become joyous knowing that all these trials and tribulations are just for the time being. It cannot affect the real me. And that's how I can become. I can go beyond the shoka, the vita shoka. So in the spiritual life, the moment I am aware of the fact that I am that self, I am that upper bird, which is sitting, not eating fruit, just as the witness, the moment I can realize that our sufferings becomes attenuated. Because we don't take them to be real. It is not real, something affecting the real me. As Sri Ramakrishna, when he was suffering from cancer, when anyone is to ask him, Sir, how are you? He used to say, Shorir jane, dukho jane. The body knows its suffering, mind be at peace, being identified with the self. So the moment the spiritual portal opens up, the sufferings of life becomes a Vita, a past tense. We will find that Swami Vivekananda in one of his lectures, he is not quoting this mantra, but most probably this is the mantra which is, he is having in his mind. And he's interpreting this mantra in a very, very poetical way, wonderful way. So I will, before concluding the class today, just go through the interpretation of Swamiji of this mantra. I will read out Swamiji's words. Two birds of beautiful plumage, inseparable companions, sat upon the same tree one on the top and one below. The beautiful bird below was eating the fruits of the tree, sweet and bitter. One moment a sweet one and another a bitter. The moment he ate a bitter fruit, he was sorry. But after a while he ate another and when it was, it too was bitter, He looked up and saw the other bird, who ate neither the sweet nor the bitter, but was calm and majestic, immersed in his own glory. And then the poor lower bird forgot and went on eating the sweet and bitter fruits again. What a nice explanation that when In our spiritual journey, we have just started our spiritual journey. We have started reading the scriptures and where again and again it relates to our majestic self, the Atman. For the time being, we feel we have to be one with it. But again, we forget. We again start eating the sweet and bitter fruits. That's what Swamiji is saying. That first, there's a bird which was eating the sweet and bitter fruits. Once it ate the bitter fruit. It was sad. Again, it ate a bit more bitter fruit. It was so sad. And now it looked up and saw that bird, which is sitting there majestically, without eating bitter fruit and the sweet fruits. It is just happy with itself. Seeing that it started proceeding towards it, but again it forgets. And the, the, that's what Swamiji say. And then the poor lower bird forgot. It forgets that actually it was proceeding towards that and again went on eating the sweet and bitter fruits. Until at last he ate one that was extremely bitter, Vishada, that's Gita starts with Vishada Yoga. When you have eaten an extremely bitter fruit, the crisis of life now really makes you look up again to find out another dimension of existence. That when he ate an extremely bitter fruit, that's what in all the scriptures you will find, which starts with the Vishada. You study Bhagavatam, it starts with Vishada. Bhagavad Gita starts with Vishada. That sufferings of life is a blessing if it enables to open up the spiritual dimension of our existence. So that's being indicated here. Until at last he ate one that was extremely bitter. And then he stopped again and once more looked up at the glorious bird above. And then what he did is, then he came nearer and nearer to the other bird. And when he had come near enough, this is again Swamiji's interpretation where he is interpreting this mantra with his own uh, imaginations, making it as if more vivid. This is not in the mantra. What he is saying is very interesting. That then he came nearer and nearer to the other bird. And when he had come enough, near enough, the rays of light shone upon him and enveloped him. And he saw he was transformed into the higher bird. He became calm, majestic, free, and found that there had been but one bird all the time on the tree. The lower bird was but the reflection of the one above so we are in reality one with the lord but the reflection makes us seem many as when the one sun reflects in a million dew drops and sims in million tiny suns the reflection must vanish if we are to identify ourselves with our real nature which is divine The universe itself can never be the limit of our satisfaction. As long as we are trying to relate to this physical dimension of our existence, this universe, it can never give us that ultimate satisfaction. We have to look up to that, the bird, the upper bird, as has been indicated in this mantra. So before we conclude the class, again, today's class, Let us again read the mantra so that we can relate to what we have discussed uh, through the entire class. Samane Brikse Purusho Nimagno Anishaya Shochati Muihamana Sitted on the same tree, Samane brikshay, the individual soul, the Purusha, is as if drowned. It thinks itself to be important, Anishaya. It's thinking that it is worried, Shochati Muihamana Totally dejected. But when he looks up, yada he looks up and sees the other bird, Annyam, which is the Lord, which is being worshipped by all. Asya Mahimanam, and thinks of his glory. He becomes Vita Shoka. By relating to that spiritual dimension, he becomes the Shoka, He goes beyond all the grief. And he becomes fulfilled. So in this human birth alone, that ultimate fulfillment is possible through our journey, through our spiritual journey. The physical journey in through the entire process of evolution was going on. It has to stop as a human being. So that's why the human birth is the most precious birth in this life, this dimension, this portal, spiritual portal can open up, giving us the fulfillment. And that's being indicated in this mantra. So we will continue with the succeeding mantras again in the next class. With this, we conclude our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.